Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Go ahead and have a seat. You can turn either to the live page and uh, click there and you get the scriptures that we're going to use this morning or you can turn in your Bible. We'll be in Deuteronomy 27 to 28. Um, you know, you look right now and this is split and uh, it's kind of funny. This was an accident, but it fits perfect with the message this morning. It's always amazing how God does these glorious accidents. Um, that, uh, that, that like the chairs got set up and it's like, wow, look at this. We got a dance floor this morning. We're gonna have some dancing. You feel led, so led. Um, yeah, uh, some break dancing. No, it actually fits well because this morning we've been in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. And if you remember, Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to his people before they've been wandering around for 40 years because of the mess they made of themselves and the decisions that they made, they've been in this wandering, and now it's time to get to go to the end of the promised land. And Moses is taking the time to preach a number of sermons to them, to, to remind them of who their God is, to remind them of what they need to be prepared as they enter into this new life, this new land, in this new place. And so Moses is, is reminding them that, hey, remember, it's Yahweh who's giving you all this. You don't earn this. You didn't earn this wandering around. Because you wandered well that doesn't mean that's why he's letting you in. He's fulfilling his promise, his covenant that he made way back when. And we'll look at that this morning. And so Moses, knowing that he's coming to the end of his life, knowing that he's going to climb a mountain for the last time and die and be buried by God and no one knows to this day where he's buried, is writing these last words to, his, to, to the people that he's given his life to. The people that he's given everything he has to, to, to his own family members. And he's saying, look, you've got to remember some things. And so as we get to the end of Deuteronomy, and we'll finish up the next couple of weeks, as you get to the end, especially chapters 27 and 28, you hit this part that's, that's a really hard part of the book. If you thought there were other hard parts of the book, no, those were easy. This is like some of the hardest stuff. Moses is getting real clear with, with the people, getting real clear with God's children on what kind of dad God is. He's loving, he's caring, but, but you have to understand that the rules and the laws that he gave you, which we looked at last week, right? Why the law is a gift. It's a gift to us. It's grace to us that God would want to tell us how to be protected and how to care for one another. Well, this week, I want us to look at this. A curse for us. A curse for you, a curse for me, a curse for us. Almost the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28 is nothing but curses. The entire chapter. I mean, when you look at it and you look at the gift of the law of God, God says, look, I've given you my word, I've given relationship with me. I've let my Shekinah glory dwell in the tabernacle. I've done everything I can do. Now what's your response? And then God in his mercy through Moses says, now before you fully respond, because that's what they're getting ready to do, he says, before you fully respond, you need to know what's coming. If you don't do this, if you say one thing and do another thing, as a good dad, as a good father, I'm coming down on you. Because I'm not going to let you treat yourself or others or the world in which I've created that way. I've given you these laws as a gift. They're merciful to you. They're, you, don't, you know things that none of the rest of the world knows. If you read back through those laws, we know those laws make sense scientifically. When we read through them, we're like, oh, that makes total sense now today. He gave them thousands of years ago. And people thought they were dumb. And now we're like, wow, that's kind of smart. And now he comes to these chapters and Moses 
is laying it out and God's like, okay, we're getting ready to go in the promised land. I need to know who's on board. going to respond. And before we respond, we need to have a conversation. And so they are literally at the mouth of the promised land getting ready to enter. And look, cursing is something that mankind has done throughout history. Even secular religions invoke demons to, to try to come and give problems to other people. And that happens in our world. There's a demonic world, a spiritual world that people are a part of, and they use the demonic spiritual world to wage war in our world. Seances, they, they call on demonic forces. They, all throughout Scripture we see this. In the Bible, there's cursing. Frequently when you see a curse in the Bible, it's God saying it. God has states some cursing. Sometimes you see it as a prophet or a man God calls and he pleads with God to curse people. Jeremiah did that. Moses does that at one point where he's like, would you just deal with these people? I'm so tired of this. And, the, and you, you deal with that too, right? In our pain and suffering in our world and we go, God, when will you deal with this? When will you deal with the evil? When will you deal with me and the mess I have? We see it all through scripture. Um, uh, and even though scripture promises curses, it's not vindictfulness. Look, when you look at the curses in scripture, it's not vindictive. It's not just, I'm going to get you. It's just like reality. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And then it happens and you're like, I just don't understand. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do you not understand? <laughs> like you do this with your kids, right? If you do that, you're going to, I mean, I've told this story once before in preaching, but I remember we had a wood stove growing up in our home, our first house, and my youngest daughter, or my, yeah, my youngest daughter, Malia, knew that we had a wood stove. We used it all the time. Our heater didn't even work in our first house. We only had auxiliary heat because we heated with wood. We didn't need it. And this big stove, had a fan, it blew it to the back bedrooms. It was awesome. So cheap. It was wonderful because I'm cheap. Okay, so, like, and so we went to another person's house, and they had this little wood stove, right? And they asked, they're like, are your kids going to be okay? We're like, yeah. And we, yeah, hey, the wood stove's hot. Okay. Not 15 minutes later, we hear a scream, right? And we walk and we see, and my daughter has a blister on the tip of her index finger. From doing this, right? Like, just, just like that. Like, it's hot. You're going to get burned. Right? Ah! Yeah, that's what happened. Like, and, and look, you can laugh at her. I can laugh at that. But you and I are the same way. God says, don't do this. Trust me. Live. And we go. And then we go, oh, not God. I don't know why this happened. What, did you not listen like, how did you not know you've grown up hearing these words? You grew up with a wood stove in your own living room, and then you go to someone else's house, and you're like, and that's what we are. And God's, so these curses aren't vindictfulness. It's just reality. It's just like God saying, duh, this is going to happen to you if you do this. I'm not cursing you like there's no hope for you, and I'm going to get you. He's just like, if you don't do that, this is going to happen. Point, believe it or not, is that God has pronounced curses. They're warnings. They're not like, I don't want anything to do with you. It's, I'm warning you because I care. And it's not just something that passes through Scripture. It's from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis starts with a curse 
It starts with creation and quickly moves to a curse. And at the end of Revelation, it's all about the final judgment and curse on mankind. It's the two bookends. And this is not a topic we like to talk about today at all. Because it's hard for us to believe in a God that would give loving consequences or curses. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, in some of the Psalms, we all like the Psalms, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He said, there is a spirit of hatred in these Psalms which strikes us in the face. It's like the heat from a furnace. Some of the Psalms, when you read them, are just brutal. David's like, kill them. And then like six verses later, he's like, but you, O Lord, are so good. And you're like, how can, what? Because it wasn't vindictful. He's stating the truth. He's stating what's true and what's going to happen to these people. He's speaking that out. In 1901, a guy named R.M. Benson wrote a book from the Psalms. He called it War Songs of the Prince of Peace. (laughs) War Songs. In that book, he said no less than 39 psalms, 39 of the psalms are war psalms. They're, They're songs of war. That's what they are. They're songs of war. 39 of them. You go on, in 1974, a group of scholars in England studied the Psalms, and they concluded that 84 Psalms were not fit for Christians to sing. (laughs) Not fit. What, are are they asking us like I did last week to start ripping out the Bible? Well, that's not relevant. We don't need to do that anymore. That's exactly what they're asking us to do. Because we don't want to believe in a God that's fully who he is in his full character. You see, the purpose of the consequences, the curses, was to draw people back to a desperate need for God. And God gave plenty of second chances before he ever exercised consequences. We'll see that in a second. He gave tons. He gave second, third, fourth, fifth, and tenth and a thousand chances before he exercised consequences, the grave consequences we read about. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28... It is the most clear theme of cursing in all the Bible. These two chapters make it clear. Cursed are the disobedient, blessed are the obedient. Now, in order to dramatize the sin that God was making, Moses inaugurated, he he had this huge ceremony. Let's pick it up, 27.1. Moses has been teaching They've been on the edge of the promised land, heading towards the Jordan River. They're getting ready to pass through a very special place that we'll see in a moment. It says, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep every command I'm giving you today. That's everything he's spoken through the first 26 chapters. At that time, or at the time you cross the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, you must set up large stones and cover them with plaster. They probably learned how to do this in Egypt. The pyramids in Egypt were built and then covered with alabaster plaster. They used to be white, blazing white, if you didn't know that. But it's all come off. The lime has run off. So they probably learned how to do this as part of the things. Like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to make these things, and you're going to cover them in plaster. And then you're going to write all the words of the law on these stones after you cross to enter the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey, as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you. When you've crossed the Jordan, you're to set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I'm commanding you today, and you're to cover them with plaster. So there's a mountain. He says, on Mount Ebal, you're going to make this altar. You're going to not cut the stones. You're going to have to go find stones that fit. That's going to take some time. So you're going to have to trust God to provide the right stone for the right spot. You can't cut it. 
You have to go out and trust God for the stone and pray, God, give us the right stone for this altar. You're going to build it, then you're going to cover it in this plaster, and then you're going to write the entire Bible up to that point on there. <laughs> All of it is what he says. He says, you're going to build an altar of stones there to the Lord your God. You must not use any iron tool. Use uncut stones to build the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God on it. There you're to sacrifice fellowship offerings, eat and rejoice in the presence of the Lord, and write clearly all the words of this law on the plastered stones. He repeats himself multiple times. I mean, God's trying to tell us something. He says you're going to write all the words, every bit of it. And he says you're going to write clearly. That means I'm not writing, okay? You ever seen my handwriting? I don't write clearly. It's bad. But I have to do clearly. So he says, be sure it's clear. You can read it. Don't be sloppy. Like, it's got to be there. And when you're there, once you write all the law on there and you're all walking around reading it, what's going to happen is you're going to throw a party. You're going to make sacrifices. You're going to throw a party. This beautiful thing is going to happen. And, and this is what's great. He says, you're going to do the fellowship offering. Look. They still had the tabernacle where they did the other offerings for sin and repentance. The fellowship offering you could do anywhere at any time. And so what he's saying is, is you're going to do a fellowship offering, which means you're calling everybody to the sacrificial mountain with you. Like, hey, let's all do this together. Let's acknowledge the law of God. Let's talk about how great it is. Let's write it down. Let's talk about it. And then let's kill all this stuff and eat it and have a fellowship offerings because God's law is so good. That's what he's saying to do, this incredible ceremony. Moses and the Levitical priesthood spoke to all Israel. Now, this is being done publicly. What we're getting ready to read were public statements. It's going to make you very uncomfortable what we're going to read because the Bible does that. God doesn't hold back. He just doesn't because he loves us too much to not be truthful with us. He just loves us too much. And so he doesn't hold back and he says, Moses and all the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel. That would have been a lot of priests. We're talking an entire tribe of people, tens of thousands of people. Be silent, Israel, and listen. They're in the midst of a party. Be silent and listen. It's time, to, it's time to listen. See, we love to talk. We don't like to listen. We live in a culture that's terrible at listening. How many of you like to sit in quiet with no video, no anything? That panics us today. Right? There are those of you who do, because you've learned, right? I have to, or I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> like, like, most of us don't want to do that, because once we get in that quiet place and we have that moment, all of a sudden our mind, and if you're sitting at the altar, you're reading the law of God, and it's silent, that's scary, because it begins to reveal your heart. And he says, this day you've become, look at this, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You've been adopted. This is your adoption day. God wants you so desperately to be his. You don't need to look for anyone else. You don't need to look for another God. You don't need to look for another way. God wants you to be his. 
Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and statutes I'm giving you today. Just show him that you believe that that's true. Show him that you believe he's worth listening to, that he's worth obeying. Show him that, yes, I believe you've done so much. Yahweh is giving you. You've given me so much. I'll respond. On that day, Moses commanded the people, when you've crossed the Jordan, these tribes, so this hasn't happened yet. He's telling them what will happen. Joseph, or I'm sorry, Joshua did this when he led the people into the promised land. He was Moses' successor. He's saying, this is what you're going to do. Look at this. When you've crossed the Jordan, here's the Jordan. Remember I told you this is a great illustration? Not really. So, so you're going to cross the Jordan River. And when you cross the Jordan, you're going to come into this valley. And this is the valley right here that we're going to look at. He says, you're going to have these tribes will stand on Mount Jezerim to bless the people. I'll do it this way. On Mount Jezerim to bless the people. Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons. Okay? And he's repeating, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. It's why Jesus also selected 12 disciples. Okay? It's a significant number. He says, these six are going to stand over here. And these tribes will stand on Mount Ebal over here to deliver the curse. So you got one tribe that's going to be delivering the blessings, speaking the blessings, and another tribe, the other six on this side, okay, that have to deliver the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites will proclaim in a loud voice to every Israelite. Can you imagine being like, wait a minute, why do I get to be on the curse side? Why can't I want to be on the blessing side? Why do I got to announce the curses? Like, what did I do wrong? Now, honestly, in some of those people, they did some really bad stuff, but that's not really the significance. The significance is, I want you guys on either side. Let me show you what this looks like, okay? There's Mount Jezerim. This is a picture of modern-day Israel and what we're talking about. You cross the Jordan... And when you cross the Jordan, there's this valley. That's Shechem. You see it? And on the one side is Mount Jezerim. That's the six tribes of blessing. And on the other side is Mount Ebal. That's the six tribes that the cursings. As soon as you cross into the promised land, you have to recognize and understand that there are both blessings and curses awaiting you. Listen, when you come into a relationship with the God of the universe, you understand that what awaits you is blessings and cursings. That there is the blessing of God, but you live in a world that is broken and devastated and is doing nothing but looking for disaster. And you have to travel through the mess. That's Shechem. Shechem is significant because Shechem is where Abraham offered sacrifices, probably on Mount Ebal, of the original Abrahamic covenant of the Old Testament. It wasn't coincidence that God was taking him across the Jordan River in this spot at this time. He was trying to remind them of what he said he would do through Abraham, and now he's doing it so that they don't get any credit. You didn't do this. You didn't make this happen because you were so good. I promised Abraham I'd bring you back through here. I promised Abraham this would happen here, and so this is what you're going to do. And I promised Abraham that anybody that would be for him, I would bless. And anybody that would be against him, I would curse. It's a reminder of the original covenant of God. Not only did that happen in Shechem, this is also where Jacob bought a plot of land, where he dug his well. It's near here where he wrestled with God. Jacob's sons are tending sheep at Shechem. And Joseph goes to find the sons 
at Shechem. And guess what? They're not at Shechem. They leave Shechem to go to Dotham. And when they see Joseph coming, which means he goes through Shechem, when he gets on the other side of Shechem and Joseph's brothers see him, they say, there is that dreamer. Let's throw him into captivity. Let's curse him. That happened here as he passed through. This city is also set aside as a Levitical city of refuge that we read about last week. It was supposed to be a city that people could come to for refuge. That if you lived in this valley, you could see the sacrifice of God, that God provides a plan for the curse and the blessing of God, and you could live between it in refuge if you accidentally took someone's life. This is also where the ten tribes, the ten tribes rallied against Rehoboam when he split the kingdom and made a northern and southern kingdom. It was here that the ten tribes said, remember God's blessings and curses, Rehoboam? Don't do this. And he did it anyway. And he caused millions to die. This is no small place. This is a place that God wants us to remember his blessings and his curses. Here's what he says. The Levites will proclaim in a loud voice to every Israelite. So the Levites are standing in the middle. They're down here. You got tribes on either side, okay? And it says, hold on, let me go back. The person who makes a carved image or cast image, which is the testable of the Lord, the work of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret is cursed. And all the people will reply. You guys are going to reply every time you see that underline. You ready? And all the people will reply. You know what amen means? So be it. I'm in. Yes, I vote yes. The Levites are down. The tribes are, all, they're, they're literally packing the mountains out. The Levites are yelling and they say, do you all agree? Amen and amen. Everybody responds with this, let it be that way. And the people reply, then the one who dishonors his mother or father is cursed. And the people will say, I don't know if I want to say amen to that one. <laughs> the one who moves his neighbor's boundary marker is cursed. And all the people will say, the one who leads a blind person astray on the road is cursed. And all the people will say, the one who denies justice to a foreigner and a fatherless child or a widow is cursed. And all the people will say, we're, not eating, we're just getting started. <laughs> like God's like, what's your response going to be? Here's the law. I'm reminding you again. You're on the mountains. You've got to make a decision as we get ready to go in and fight the enemies that are waiting you. And if, you, if you're not on board, this isn't going to be good. You see, he's already dealt with all of this and he's laying it out. Then he goes on. He says, the one who sleeps with his father's wife is cursed for he has violated his father's marriage bed. And all the people will say... The one who has sexual intercourse with an animal is cursed. And all the people will say, I told you this was graphic. This is the Bible. This was read publicly in front of everyone. Millions of people. Levites are yelling this out. The people are responding. He goes on and he said, the children were there, little children. Everybody's there. Daddy, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to explain that pretty quickly. He goes on, he says, the one who sleeps with his sister, whether his father's daughter or mother's daughter, is cursed. And all the people will say, the one who sleeps with his mother-in-law is cursed. And all the people will say, there's a lot of sleeping around. <laughs> we still have it today. 
and it's cursing us. The one who secretly kills his neighbor is cursed, and all the people say, the one who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person is cursed, and all the people say, anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed, and all the people say, <laughs> he, just, he just, God didn't hold back. He's just like, here it is, and you agreed. You said amen, and you could say, well, I really didn't mean it. I mean, because you told me to say amen, and I saw you looking at me, from, and so I said it. I really don't mean it. Doesn't matter, you said it. God's like, this is what happens. There is a curse when you don't follow my ways. In the same way, this is what Jesus said, we read this last week, in the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill it. In other words, I came to make Mount Jezerim and Ebal together. I, I, I came to bring bless. I came to bring the relationship back together. I claim to, ma to make everything right is why Jesus came. He says, so they may see your good works and give glory. And then he goes on, for I assure you until heaven and earth pass away, heaven, earth, two mountains, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. And we talked about this last week. All things have not been accomplished yet. Some things have been accomplished, Jesus hasn't come back yet. We don't live in paradise. We don't have perfect heaven yet. So there have been some things, that, just like at this point, there have been some things that have been accomplished, and Moses is saying, getting ready, you need to get ready for what God's going to accomplish even more. It's the same message to us. God has made a covenant. He made it with Abraham. He's remaking it with you. He made it with Christ, Jesus and we renew ourselves to that covenant, and it changes us to be different people as we go out into the world. He goes on, he says this, Now if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow his commands I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. I love that. These blessings are going to overtake you. You can't even stop them. He goes on, he says, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Your descendants will be blessed. Your land's produce, the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks, your basket, your kneading bowl will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Can I, can I remind you what blessing means? It means happy. It doesn't mean stuff. It doesn't mean stuff. It means You'll be happy in the city and happy in the country. Your descendants will be happy. You'll be happy with the land's produce, whatever it is. You'll be happy with whatever offspring you get. You'll be a happy person because you understand that there's a God that loves you and isn't going to break his covenant and he's with you and he cares about you even when you're going through a war. That's what he's saying here. We read this and say, well, where's my basket full? Where's my sheep? Where's my stuff, God? God's like, really? That's what I am to you? I'm just a genie? You rub and get the blessing? That's all this relationship is? Versus saying, if I have breath today, I haven't been cursed with death yet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> death is a curse. I still got another breath today. Amen. <laughs> I'm still alive. Praise God. See, we don't have that attitude. It's, well, I just don't feel well today. And we grumble and we complain. And we, 
No, no, he says, look, regardless of what you find yourself in, is if you obey God's commands, if you love him, if you know they're good for you, your response is going to be to see things not as curses. Our problem is we all look at curses. The only reason you look at curses is because deep down inside you know you are cursed and you won't deal with it. It says, the Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They'll march out against you from one direction, but flee to you in seven. The Lord will grant you a blessing on your storehouses and everything you do. He'll bless you in the land the Lord your God has given you. He'll establish you as his holy people. He swore to you if you obey the Lord walk in his ways. Then all the people of the earth will see that you're called by Yahweh's name, and they will stand in awe of you. So why will I do this? I'm going to do this because I want the nations to know me. See, it's not about you. The reason I'm going to raise you up is not because you're so much special and better than everybody else. It's because I've got a plan and I want to use people to show the world how, what kind of a God I am. That's the goal. It's always been the goal. And I want them to see Yahweh's name on display and stand in awe of that God. But see, that's not our heart, is it? We say, God, I need more now for me to get through this rather than, God, I just want your glory on display. That's all I want, regardless of what I have to go through. See, that's Jesus when you read Matthew 5 and the blessings of the Beatitudes and there don't seem like blessings. Remember we talked about that? Later he talks about being light and salt right after he shares these Beatitudes. He goes through this. And, and can I tell you, we're not in the promised land yet. The Lord will make you prosper abundantly with your children, the offspring of your livestock and your land's produce. And the land, the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open up for you his abundant storehouse of the sky to give your land rain in its season, to bless all the works of a hand. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. That's a good lesson for us today. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will only move upward and never down you, downward if you listen to the Lord your God's commands I'm giving you today and carefully and, be, and are careful to follow them. Do not turn aside to the right or the left from all the things I'm commanding you today. Do not go after other gods to worship them. You see, we can see when we're standing against the law and the good things of God, because if we'll take just a moment to think about it, we probably have an idol that we're going after. Some idol, money, a certain career, a certain relationship. There, there's something we want, and the only reason we're doing what we need to do is because we believe that we can get God's blessing, just do, like, like we can get God on our team, on our will, if we just do the right thing. That's not scriptural. God says he has a will, and those who know him are seeking it. They're like, I just want to know what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. Regardless of the consequences, I don't care because I just want to be close to you because I know in the end you win. So, so I'm on board. See, it's so subtle how we twist things. It's so subtle how we make idols in our heart and in our world so quickly. And, he, and that's why he finishes and he goes, these blessings, you're, you're not going to see blessing because you're going to always be running after the next thing. In other words, Jesus isn't enough. I'm not enough for you. So you got to have one more thing, one more relationship, one more this, one more that, because I'm not enough. Where did God say he was going to do and give all these blessings? 
Where was it going to be that all these blessings were going to come? In the what? Promised land. You realize that in the New Testament, we know that the promised land isn't going to come until Christ comes back. All of these blessings will happen, but not until we're in the promised land. And we're not in the promised land. We're not. And you can move to Jerusalem and move to Israel. It's not the promised land. <laughs> not yet. Matter of fact, Israel is said to be one of the most secular nations on the face of the planet. Very secular. Sure, they observe religious holidays like we do, but they're pretty much secular in their mentality. They do whatever it takes to survive, just like we do. They're not worshiping the God of Abraham and their fathers. There's a few that try to, very few. The problem is they can't even do it because they don't have a temple. They can't even obey the Old Testament because there's no temple. They can't obey half the Old Testament because the temple's gone. And they haven't questioned why when Jesus said, I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to be sure it's gone so that you have to trust in me above all other things. See, this is the beauty of what God's doing. See, the promised land for us is heaven. And, and tune in. When we look at God and say, God, where's my blessing? What we're saying is, you're not enough and the heaven I'm waiting for isn't enough if you don't give me what I want now. That is despicable in relationships. That's not loving, that's using. We got a bunch of people that, that want to be Christ stalkers. They don't want to be Christ followers. Lots of people want to stalk Jesus. They, want to, they don't want a real relationship with him. They want to be a stalker of him. You, they can talk about who he is, what he's done. They can talk about his character. They can quote scripture. They can talk all about all the stuff about him. But when you really get to know him, you realize you don't really know him. And that's weird. You're just a stalker. And Jesus is like, I don't deal well with stalkers. <laughs> I, I send curses on stalkers. But people who will be my children, who will love me and follow me, I'll love them. He goes on to say, but if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following his commands and statutes, I'm giving you today and all these curses will overtake you. They'll overtake you. They're waiting for you. In other words, all these consequences are going to overtake you. When you look around and see the mess around us, it's not rocket science. It's not. Most of the problems we're in, I mean, I'm amazed at how we've gotten back to the reality simply in our culture that abstinence is still the best method to keep things better. There's less strife in relationships if you practice abstinence. There's less sexual disease, out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Do you realize... How much is solved by just saying, God, you're right. I shouldn't have sex unless I'm in a covenant with someone and we're committed to each other. If we would just do that, do you know how many problems that solves? But we won't do it because we know better. Now, is there still rape and issues? Sure there are. And we need to deal with those justly. But the majority of our problems are not because we all got raped. Some of you may have. You may be broken because of it. And if you are, man, there's forgiveness. There's grace. And God knows what it's like to be used. He knows it because we use him. But can I tell you, most of our problems are just self-inflicted as they are inflicted on other people. All of us in this room are both perpetrators and victims. Every single one of us. 
All of us. He looks and he says, you'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your descendants will be cursed. Your land's produce, the young of your herds, the newborn of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send against you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you do until you're destroyed and quickly perish because of the wickedness of your actions abandoning me. He doesn't say it's unredeemable. He says it's just a statement of fact. You're, you're going to go down a road and just keep getting worse, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse, and it's going to be bad. He goes on to say this, and I want you to think through these consequences. As I read through these curses that we're getting ready to read through, I want you to think about our culture today. You ready? Because we're going to read like a bunch here real fast. Here we go. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you until he's exterminated you from the land you're entering to possess. Pestilence is like just annoying stuff. Drought, flood, all kinds of crazy stuff. The Lord will afflict you with wasting disease. We have deer that have wasting disease. Fever, inflammation, burning heat, drought, blight, mildew. These will pursue you until you perish. The sky above you will be bronze and the earth beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky till you're destroyed. That happened in the Great Dust Bowl in the 1930s. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will march out against them from one direction but flee from them in seven directions. You'll be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your corpses will be food for all the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land with no one to scare them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, tumors, festering rash and scabies from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and mental confusion. So that at noon you will grope as a blind man gropes in the dark. You will not be successful in anything you do. You'll only be oppressed and robbed continually. No one will help you. You'll become engaged to a woman, but another man will rape her. You will build a house, but not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but not enjoy its fruit. This is being read publicly. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. Your donkey will be taken from you and not returned to you. Your flock will be given to your enemies, and no one will help you. Your sons and daughters will be given to another people, while your eyes grow weary looking for them every day, but you will be powerless to do anything. A people you don't know will eat your land's produce and everything you've labored for. You will only be oppressed and crushed continually. We see this with identity theft today. You'll be driven mad by what you see. Suicide rates off the charts in our culture, especially among young people. The Lord will afflict you with painful and incurable boils on your knees and thighs from the side of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king that you've appointed to a nation neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone. You'll become an object of horror, scorn, and ridicule among the peoples where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You'll plant and cultivate vineyards, but not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because the worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees, Throughout your territory, but not anoint yourself with oil because your olives will drop off. You will father sons and daughters, but they will not remain yours because they will be taken prisoner. Whirling insects will take possession of your trees and your land's produce. The foreign resident among you will rise higher and higher above you while you sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you won't lend to him. He'll be the head and you'll be the tail. All these curses will come, pursue, and overtake you until you're destroyed since you did not obey the Lord your God and keep the commands and statutes he gave you. These curses will be a sign and a wonder against you and your descendants. In other words, the reason I'm going to do this is to try to get your attention because you're not listening. I'm just going to let these things happen to you. Listen, I've said this over and over again. For God to send a curse, he doesn't have to do this. All he has to do is take his hands off. 
You want to see how bad your life will get? Start throwing off all the authority in your life. Tell your boss to stick it. Tell the police to stick it. Tell authorities in your life to stick it and watch what happens when they take their hands off your life and what happens when they come in and the ultimate authority of government has to smash you. To be bad, we don't have to like get God to like curse us. We're already cursed. We're already in a mess. We are desperate for a savior. And God is saying, I want to come save you, but instead I'm holy and I just have to keep backing off. And the more I back off, the worse it's going to get. He goes on and he says, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart, even though you had an abundance of everything. See, abundance is something that is undefinable, isn't it? Right? It is. See, abundance is all how I see it. It's all how I perceive it to be. Like, like if I find this morning I found three pennies on the sidewalk. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. Most of you would be like, stupid pennies, and walk right over them. Right? Stupid pennies, not worth anything. I'm like, I found three pennies. That's awesome. Put it in the offering box. Who knows what God will do with that? See, it's all perspective. It's a God-given abundance. I found another nickel sweeping this morning. Look, there's a nickel. I got eight cents. Wow, God's just providing. That's amazing. Not, oh, this is worthless, you know, eight cents. God, why can't you send a 20? Come on now, I'm sweeping hard here. I need a 20 under the carpet. See, it's all, yeah, amen. Like, it's all perspective. And God's like, you you don't have a joyful and cheerful heart, even though I've given you so much. Probably because the stuff you've got, you didn't ask me if you should have it. That's why you're not cheerful about it. Because you never checked in with me. You never asked me. You just said, oh, look, I'm blessed. Look at all I have. Really, it's a blessing. Interesting. Doesn't look like a blessing. Looks like it's killing you. That's an addict, right? An addict is a person that you try to convince them that the thing that they find that blesses them and helps them is bad for them. And they're like, no, it's not. You're like, "How?" yes, it is. No, no, it's good. It helps me help people. No, it doesn't. Like, that's the whole point he's saying. He's saying you've got to learn to have a cheerful heart. How do you have a cheerful heart when God's cursing you? When all these curses are listed, how do you have a cheerful heart? Only if you recognize you deserve all of them and you go, thank you, God, I deserve all those. Thanks you haven't given me those. Thank you that you withheld like half of those from me. Praise the Lord. I'm still alive. That's when you become cheerful. He goes on, he says, you will serve your enemies. The Lord will send against you. In famine, thirst, nakedness, lack of everything, you'll place an iron yoke on your neck until he's destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation from far away, from the ends of the earth, to swoop down on you like an eagle. A nation whose language you don't understand. A ruthless nation, showing no respect for the old, not sparing the young. They will eat the offspring of your livestock and your land's produce until you're destroyed. They will leave you no grain, no new wine or oil. Young of your herds or newborn of your flocks until they cause you to perish. They will besiege you within your gates until your high and fortified walls that you trust in come down throughout your land. They will besiege you with all their gates. 
within all your gates throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. You will eat your children, the flesh of your sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you. And this happened. During the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, when Babylon and Assyria, which all the prophets, Hosea, Jeremiah, all of them prophesied and reminded them of this moment when this was going to happen. And they said, God has raised up another nation that's coming in. And they all said, no, we're good. Egypt, we have a treaty with Egypt. We're going to be fine. God's going to protect us. And this actually happened. The only people that were spared were the ones that surrendered beforehand. Jeremiah said, surrender now. All Prophets are telling you, peace, peace. They're lying. The, the enemy's coming. God is going to bring us the consequences we deserve. And if you'll just surrender to Babylon and live there 70 years and be a good citizen in Babylon, he'll let you return back to the promised land. But you better surrender now because if you don't, they're going to siege the city and it happened. We know it from non-biblical resources and non-biblical historical accounts. People were eating their own children in their cities because they had nothing to eat. Because when you siege a city, you don't let anything in. And in their pride, they wouldn't surrender. God's going to come at the last moment and save us. God would never curse us. He would never hurt us. And they just trusted in that lie when God had said, I need you to surrender. And you keep standing in pride. And this happened. All of this happened historically. You can read about it. <laughs> and it was awful. But you know what's crazy? All of this happened, but it took God hundreds and hundreds of years before he did it. Almost a thousand years before the Babylonian captivity happened. 900 years of patience, of God warning, of God saying, don't do this. I love you. Stop this. 900 years of God pleading with his people and them not listening. And finally, he's like, I'm done. I can't deal with this any longer says, the most sensitive and refined man among, your, among you will look grudgingly at his brother, the wife he embraces, and the rest of his children, refusing to share any of them, his children's flesh, that he will eat because he has nothing left during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you in all your towns. The most sensitive, refined women among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her refinement and sensitivity will begrudge the husband she embraces, her son, and her daughter. The afterbirth that comes out from between her legs and the children she bears because she will secretly eat them for lack of anything else during the siege and hardship your enemy imposes on you within your gates. This happened. Read the historical account. If you're not careful to obey all the words of this law which are written on this scroll by fearing this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh your God, he will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues and terrible chronic diseases or sicknesses. He will afflict you again with all the diseases of Egypt, which you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also afflict you with every sickness and plague not recorded in the book of this law until you're destroyed. Though you are as numerous as the stars of the sky, you will be left with only a few people because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as the Lord was glad to cause you to prosper and to multiply you, so he will be also glad to cause you to perish and destroy you. You'll be deported from a land you're entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Listen, this all happened. Assyria came in in 725 B.C. That's 685 years after they do this. Babylon came in 820 years after. 
And the Jews are still scattered to this day around the world because of this promise that God gave. He keeps his word. See, God didn't fully give the last group of consequences listed in Deuteronomy 28 until 586 B.C. when Babylon came in. He gave his people ample opportunity to repent. It says God was pleased. The Hebrew word for pleased means to exalt or rejoice. God was exalted. You see, God is holy. There's two sides of God's character. He is fully holy and he's fully loving. He doesn't stop doing one to do the other. He is always all everything he is. And in his nature, he must react to sin. He must react to our unrighteousness and our rebellion. He's a good father. He won't let us. He won't let us continue to hurt other people. He'll step in. You see, to to understand God's pleasure and consequences, I want you to think about yourself as a parent. When you give out a consequence after being exactly clear about what your expectations were and the resulting discipline, there's a satisfaction when the consequence is given, isn't there? There's a sense of satisfaction, like, okay, I don't want to do this to you, but I'm glad you're learning. You're getting it. I know I did the right thing. There's a sense of satisfaction there. That's the righteousness of God. That's the justice of God. That's a picture of his character. Justice has been maintained. The sin's been addressed. The same range of emotions are felt when a high-profile criminal has been sentenced. When we read the headline with a small smile, thinking, wow, man, I'm so glad he got caught. I'm so glad he couldn't kill anyone else. I'm so glad. And then in the same breath, you say, I hope he comes to know Jesus before he has to face God, his maker. See, we have that inner sense of justice that comes from God. And so there's a sense that that God is both just and he's holy. And God calls his children to faithfully obey. He says, you'll find no peace among the nations. There'll be no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a despondent spirit. That's what we see in our world today. Your life will hang in doubt before you. You'll be in dread night and day, never certain of survival. Listen. I see people that are calling themselves Christians in this position all the time. They come to me and they're like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Everything's so horrible. I'm like, you have the God of the universe in heaven awaiting you. Like, I get that you might be going through some tough times. I'm not trying to, to nullify that. But we need to get your focus off of this and get your focus here. You're focused on Ebal and you need to be focused on Jezreel. It goes on, in the morning you'll say, if only we're evening. And in the evening you'll say, if only we're morning. Because of the dread you will still have in your heart and because of what you will see. The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. How sad. You're completely invaluable. They don't even want you around. You see, in our culture, we know that no one will buy us. That's why there's so much money spent on staying young, Plastic surgery is because we're desperately trying to find somebody that will love us, someone that will care for us, someone that will show us that we're worth something. And the God of the Bible, since Genesis, is saying, that's me. I've told you these curses were going to come. I've given you my law. I've done everything I can do to show you that I want a relationship. And you keep trying to sell yourself to people that will sell you out in a heartbeat. They'll sell you off the minute it gets tough. They don't want any. I'm here. I'm the God of the universe. I won't do that. I'm going to give you consequences because I'm a good father, but I'm still there with my covenant. I won't let go. That's the God of Scripture. 
And he said, and you're going to sell yourself off. And we've got young women, young men selling themselves off constantly because they can't believe that God's enough. That his covenant, his word, he's not good enough. He can't come through. Heaven isn't enough. i got to have some heaven here for me now. I need a promised land now. I can't wait for it. And God's like, no, that's not what I've said. And the reason, the reason that we'll end up here is because we stopped climbing Mount Ebal. See, Mount Ebal was where they climbed to make sacrifice, to be reminded of their sin, and to give a fellowship offering to celebrate a forgiving, loving God, and then to come off the mountain and live by the law according to what God asked them to live out. That's what they did. And we won't climb Mount Ebal. We want to stay on Jezreel, and God's like, uh, no. You, you need a sacrifice. You need someone to pay the payment for you. In Galatians 1.6, here's what Paul says as it relates to the law of the Old Testament, what we're reading. This is what Paul says. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different story. See, the gospel is a story. It's a story of a God who says that we're sinners and we need rescue. And the Old Testament is the message. Everyone in the Old Testament looked forward to the day when Yahweh would save them. That's what Jesus' name means. His name means Yahweh saves. They looked forward to the day when God would send a Messiah, a Yahweh saves, into their life. We look back to the day when God sent a Yahweh saves into the world. And we all together, from Genesis to Revelation, all look forward to the day when God saves us all and makes a new heaven and a new earth. That's the message of Scripture. It's always been the message. It hasn't changed. They had faith that God would send a Savior. We have faith that historically he sent one. And we all have faith that he's going to finally come a second time and make it right. It's the same story. And Paul says, there are people messing up this story. They won't give you the full story. They're twisting it. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Look, there's no good news without bad news. If you're good without God, there's no need for a, for a Savior we got to have the bad news first. That's why the cursing was first. And God says, then there's blessing. He goes on, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel other than what we've preached to you, a curse be on him. This is New Testament. This is an Old Testament. Paul's saying a curse be on the person that preaches a different story, a different message than what we know to be true in this book. And you've got to remember, Paul's writing the New Testament here. So when he's talking about a different gospel, he's talking about the gospel they preached from the Old Testament. He goes on and he says, If anyone preaches to you that, for now I am trying to win the favor, for am I now trying to win the favor of people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still striving to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Galatians, he goes on, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Wait a minute, I thought God said that we were supposed to obey the law and we're supposed to do... No, no, no. If you're relying on the works of the law to make you good with God, then you don't understand the relationship you have with God. I do the works of the law because I believe that there's a God who loves me and paid the price for me and I respond to him loving. Look, he says, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. In other words, if you break one law, you broke them all. You're guilty. 
What are you going to do with your guilt? How are you going to deal with your guilt? In the Old Testament, they came to Ebal. They made the sacrifices. They cried out to God and said, God, I don't know how you're going to save us. I don't know how this lamb makes, makes a difference, but, but you said to do it, so I do it, and I throw myself at your mercy. Please forgive me. Please help me. And we're the same way in Christ because he goes. Now, it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. In other words, you can't do enough of it. You can't get your goods to outweigh your bads. It's impossible because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. This is the beautiful part. Christ has redeemed us. The Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it's written, everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all the stuff we just read and he said, I'll take it on your behalf. Now what's your response to that? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Oh, man, thank you. I'll serve you. What do you want me to do? Or do you go, eh, thanks, I appreciate that. I'm going to go do what I want now. If I mess up, I'll come back when I want. Like, does your heart, are you amazed at that, that you deserved all those curses that we just read about, and there's a God who left heaven and died in your place, took your for you, freed you from the law. You don't have to have the burden of the law anymore. You don't see the law as a burden. Now when you read the law, you go, wow, God's really loving. He's really good. I'm so thankful to him. It changes our perspective. He says, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. That's what Christ Jesus means. So that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. He goes all the way back to Shechem and Abraham. And he says, it's about faith. Abraham had faith that God would send a son to be an heir. We have faith that God sent his son to be an heir. And we place our faith in that. And we say, I don't know how this works. I may not understand this, but I know I am in desperate need of a God who will save and be my savior, be my hero, be my Messiah. I know God. That's exactly the story of scripture from beginning to end. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not, Paul says. For if the law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But we're not right by the law. The law shows us how wrong we are. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Yahweh who saves, who is the hero, who is the Messiah, might be given to those who believe. And believe isn't just head knowledge, it's action. Before this faith came, we were confirmed under, or confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian. It wasn't a burden, it helped us. It guarded us from being too wicked. It guarded us to have to cry out to God and say, God, please send us a savior. In the Old Testament, the people who really understood God constantly were saying, we need a savior. Send us a savior. Help us, save us, we're in trouble. Exactly. That's exactly what Paul's saying. It was a guardian to cause us to cry out. When we read the law today, it should cause us to cry out, only we don't look for one that's coming, kind of, Jesus coming another time. We thank him that he came. Thank you when I read the law so that we can be justified by faith. That means made right. That means justice is carried out on Christ because of the faith that we place in him. I'm not trying to get my justice off by doing works. That's not how it works. 
Jesus has justified me. So what can we expect? First Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised when a fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. We live in a cursed world. Second Timothy, in fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, will be persecuted. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to submit to God. They don't want to surrender to God. They want to use each other. They don't want to be used by God. Matthew 5, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in the promised land. That's exactly what we read in Deuteronomy. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, this is what Paul says. If anyone does not love the Lord, the Lord being Yahweh, a curse be on him. Maranatha, that is, Lord, come. Yahweh, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus may be with you. May my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing, and he says, look, if you don't love the Lord, that a curse is on you. That's the same thing that was being said in Deuteronomy. It's the same exact message. And he says, Lord, we need you to come. We are a cursed people. We desperately need you. And if we know that and we're confident of that, then we can say in our heart of hearts, I'm thankful to remember that you paid the price. As I wrap up, we have Shechem, Mount Jezreel, Mount Ebal. Blessings and curses. Let me ask you, have you embraced the fact that you're a cursed person? And if you have, are you willing to cry out to God to ask and believe in his blessing of his son that died on Ebal so that we could have a relationship with him on Jezreel? See, that's the message of this book. It's what Abraham did. Abraham understood that he would make the sacrifice on Ebal and God would provide. See, when they left Shechem, they were to remember the past and live in light of the future, the future that God will give us. Let me ask you, have you made that decision to follow God? You sat here and said amen. A curse be on you, amen, amen, amen. Listen, if you just feel like you're cursed, can I just tell you that's not where God wants you to be? He wants you to know you're loved. If you have curses in your life, can I just tell you, there are consequences you may never get rid of. There are consequences that people had in Scripture, even in the New Testament, that they could never get rid of because of their sin. And you just have to trust God by faith that he'll deal with it. You do all you can to reconcile and be at peace, but there comes a point when you're like, God, you have to do it, and I'm going to obey you in the midst of it. I'm going to be glad and rejoice in you regardless of the circumstances I get ready to face. That's the gospel. It's believing that Jesus was God. He came to earth. He paid the price for, this, for the curse, gave us a blessing. And he says, I invite you into a relationship with me. Will you respond? Amen. Or will you say, ah, I don't know. If you've not made a decision for him, make it. Here's the other thing. If you're like the children of Israel and you're making some bad decisions, you're not following God's law. Can I just tell you, God's being very patient with you. Don't expect him to be patient forever. Those consequences will catch up with you and they'll destroy you. 
and they'll destroy people around you. Deal with whatever it is you're going through. Get other people involved. The point of Ebal was to confess your sin. That was the sacrifice, to come and say, I'm a sinner, help me. To cry out to the people. That's what we're called to do as believers. 